Thank you for listening to our church podcast, where it is our joy to share helpful truths from the Bible. We pray this serves as one more tool to help develop leaders within our church and community who love and honor Jesus and reveal it by loving others. If you have any questions or comments about any of the messages, we invite you to join us on any Wednesday, 6 p.m., for a group discussion on the passages and sermons found here. All righty, well, if you've been with us these last several months, we've been working through the Gospel of Luke. And this morning we're at chapter number 6, which begins with the phrase, Judge Not. If you've been paying attention to the news lately, you know that judges are all over the news right now, especially with this Supreme Court justice and the vacancy and all of the turmoil that that's caused. Uh, When I heard the news about it, I was at work when I heard that uh, there was a vacancy in the Supreme Court, and I thought, oh my goodness, this is going to be World War III, and uh, throwing a hand grenade right in the middle of this election. But a lot of... of, controversy about justices and the judicial system right now. And as you know, there's been a, uh, a nomination to the Supreme Court by the president. Whatever your thoughts are on that, I'm not going to get into that right now. But either way, she has been nominated, and uh, she's going to now be vetted by the Senate. The job of the Senate is to basically examine the judge and to say whether or not this person is qualified for the position of being on the court. So this week, as I thought about judges, I tried to nail down what it is that makes a good judge. And I think what we can say is the most basic and fundamental things that make a good judge is, number one, they know the law well. Number two, they apply it consistently. I think those are the foundational level of what makes good judgment, is you know the law, you know it thoroughly, you know it well, you understand it, and you apply it consistently across the board. If you've ever seen a picture of Lady Justice, I don't have one on the screen, I should have thought of that, but... Uh, She's always blindfolded. You ever seen that at a court building? You'll see there's a blindfold across her. And the idea there is that the law should be applied consistently. It doesn't matter who you are. It doesn't matter what the circumstance. The law should always be applied consistently. And so with that in mind, we're going to dive into our text this morning, which begins with what I'm considering the non-Christian's favorite Bible verse. Everybody knows this verse. Even if you don't know anything about the Bible, you know somewhere Jesus said, don't judge. So we'll read it this morning. Luke six thirty seven. Judge not, and ye shall not be judged. Condemn not, and ye shall not be condemned. Forgive, and ye shall be forgiven. Normally, when non-believers use this verse, it's basically meant to silence whoever says they're doing something wrong. Uh, don't judge me. That's typically how it's phrased. Some take this to mean that morality is relative, meaning... Uh, Basically, it doesn't matter what right and wrong is. Jesus doesn't really care. Everything's kind of up in the air. And the only way to come to that conclusion would really be to disregard everything in the Bible except this one verse. And I feel like that's what many in our culture do today. The Bible makes very clear that there is such a thing as objective morality. Right and wrong are not just social constructs that are malleable and different people can decide different things. No, the Bible teaches that God created the world we live in. And since he is our creator, he gets to determine what is right and what is wrong. Another way this verse is often misinterpreted is to say that you should never tell anyone that what they're doing is wrong. And this can't be what Jesus means, because if you read the Gospels, Jesus did that all the time. He regularly pointed out when people were in the wrong. That also can't be what Jesus means, because even in this text, he teaches us how to judge. He talks about judging someone by their fruits, by the evidence. And so we'll get into that more a little bit later. So what is it that Jesus is saying when he says don't judge? Are we never to think someone is doing something wrong? I don't think that's what he's after. Again, he says by your fruits you can know them. You ought to be judging people by the evidence of their life. He says you can tell what's in a person's heart by what comes out of their mouth. 
And he says, you should pull out the speck from your brother's eye, but first make sure you examine yourself. He doesn't say, never pull out a speck from your brother's eye. So I don't think Jesus is saying you should not ever discern between right and wrong, nor do I believe he's teaching you should never confront someone who is in sin. Let's consider a few other passages, beginning with Romans 16, where Paul writes, Now I beseech you, brethren, mark them which cause divisions and offenses contrary to the doctrine which ye have learned, and avoid them. That sounds judgmental to me. Ephesians chapter 5, Have no fellowship with the unfruitful works of darkness, but rather reprove them. One more text, 2 Thessalonians 3. Now we command you, brethren, in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, that ye withdraw yourself from every brother that walketh disorderly and not after the tradition which he received of us. Now those texts seem to be contrary to what Jesus taught. If what we're to take from this is never should you think that someone's doing something wrong, how do you mark those that are in the wrong? How do you withdraw yourself from somebody who's walking disorderly? That requires a judgment call. And so all over the New Testament, we're told in different ways to judge and to withdraw from those who we've judged to be walking disorderly or causing divisions. We're going to look at two texts that I think will clear this up some, starting with 1 Corinthians 5. I want to walk through this chapter and see what Paul says about judging in a specific situation. This is a kind of a case study, if you will. 1 Corinthians 5, it says, It is reported commonly that there is fornication among you, and such fornication as is not so much as named among the Gentiles that one should have his father's wife. So Paul was not in Corinth at the time, uh, but he was hearing reports back that at that church there was rampant immorality. In uh, the type of immorality that he said wasn't even normal in the world. Like this is some really sick stuff. And so listen to what he says about this particular man in verse 3. He says, For I verily as absent in body, but present in spirit. So I, I'm not with you, but I've judged already as though I were present concerning him that hath, done, that hath so done this deed. So, so Paul says, I'm not with you right now, but even where I am, just hearing these reports, I've already judged this guy. And here he gives his, his sentence, if you will, verse 4. In the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, when ye are gathered together, so when the church comes together, and my spirit, with the power of the Lord Jesus Christ, to deliver such an one unto Satan for the destruction of the flesh, that the spirit might be saved in the day of the Lord Jesus. So he says, the next time you guys come together, kick this guy out of your church. That's what he commands them to do. Okay, verse 6. Uh, your glorying is not good. Know ye not that a little leaven leaveneth the whole lump? Purge out therefore the old leaven, that ye may be a new lump, as ye are unleavened. For even Christ our, our Passover is sacrificed for us. A little bit of uh, picture there, and uh, I can't think of the word right now, metaphor. Uh, but what he's saying there is basically, it's sort of like the rotten apple principle, right? If you have a bag of good apples and you throw a rotten one in there, it won't be long before you ruined all of them. And so for the sake of the purity of your church, he says, if somebody is living in this rampant immorality, you need to kick them out of the church. That should not be allowed. Uh, verse 9, if you continue on, it says, I wrote unto you in an epistle not to company with fornicators, yet not altogether with the fornicators of this world, or with the covetous, or with extortioners, or with idolaters, for then ye must needs go out of the world. But now I have written unto you not to keep company, if any man that is called a brother be a fornicator, or covetous, or an idolater, or a railer, or a drunkard, or an extortioner. With such an one, know not to eat." For what have I to do to judge them also that are without? Do not ye judge them that are within? But them that are without, God judgeth. Therefore, put away from among yourselves that wicked person. 
So again, not only should you judge the person in sin, if they don't repent, you should remove them from the church. And you should not associate with them. Paul says don't even eat with them. Don't keep company with those wicked people that claim to be brothers. So apparently, we are to judge. That would be the conclusion I get from 1 Corinthians 5. Now let's contrast that with Romans 14. This is Paul, the same person that wrote 1 Corinthians 5. Now he's writing the church in Rome. He says, For one believeth that he may eat all things, another who is weak eateth herbs. Let not him that eateth despise him that eateth not, and let not him which eateth not judge him that eateth. For God hath received him. So these were some of the hot issues in the first century church, is whether or not you should eat meat, and specifically whether you should eat meat that had been offered to idols. Okay, idolatry was a big deal in the first century churches, and not in the churches, but in the world that they lived in. Uh, meat would be offered to idols, and obviously the idols didn't actually eat the meat, and so they would turn around and sell it. And if you lived in one of these cities, you could purchase the meat that had been previously offered to an idol. And some Christians had a problem with this. They felt like it was tainted because it had been offered to idols. Other Christians said, uh, idols aren't real and the meat's perfectly fine. Why don't we just eat it? And so this was, this was a controversy. This is what people argued about in the first century. Sort of sounds like some of the things we argue about today. Uh, but either way, there was not a clear command from God as to which way you're supposed to go here. And so Paul says, basically, if you read throughout the chapter, you need to come to your own conclusion on this. And whatever conclusion you come to, uh, don't judge the guy that come to a different opinion. And this applies so well to so many of those type of issues in our churches today and even in our church. I'm sure there's some in this church that have different opinions on what, what's allowable or not allowable for a Christian. And Paul says you need to be fully persuaded in your own mind and then don't judge somebody that comes to a different conclusion. Verse 10 of the same chapter, why dost thou judge thy brother? Or why dost thou set at not thy brother? For we shall all stand before the judgment seat of Christ. Let us not therefore judge one another any more. But judge this rather, that no man put a stumbling block or an occasion to fall in his brother's way. So Paul writes in 1 Corinthians 5, judge the guy and kick him out of the church. Don't even eat a meal with him. Don't associate with him. And in Romans, Paul says, don't judge your brother. So what are we supposed to do with this? I think the answer here, first of all, there's a clue between the two different issues. 1 Corinthians 5 is a sin issue. 1 Corinthians 5 is, I don't want to get too graphic and gross here, but it was a man who was uh, being immoral with his mother-in-law. It's a pretty sick situation. And so this was rampant sin. It was open sin. Everybody knew about it. Paul says, kick that guy out of the church. Romans 14 is not a sin issue. This is an issue where different Christians can come to different conclusions as to whether or not it's okay to eat this meat. And so when it comes to an opinion, Paul says, don't judge. When it comes to something the Bible makes clear is sin, Paul says, do judge. So that's the first principle of judgment we should note here is we are to judge sin by what the Bible says is actually wrong, not just what we don't approve of or what we would never personally do. Another principle Jesus gives for how to judge is in John 7, 24. Jesus says, judge not according to the appearance, but judge righteous judgment. So here, Jesus gives the principle that superficial judgment is wrong. We're not supposed to judge, make quick judgments based on a glimpse of someone's life. We're supposed to judge righteously. So back to our text in Luke. I think the main point Jesus is making throughout this text is to judge others in the way you would like to be judged. In other words, I think this is an extension of the golden rule. We, we saw this, I think, two weeks ago. Uh, the golden rule was in the same sermon of Jesus where he says, uh, if you want, do to others as you'd have them to do to you, right? And I think this is an extension of that. Judge others the way you would like to be judged. I thought about this week. I think there's three ways that I would like to be judged. First of all, I would like to be judged not. 
Okay, I know it's kind of cheating, but if I can have my way, I'd like it if nobody judged me, right? That's the first. Second, if, if someone's going to judge me, I'd like for them to judge me mercifully. Because sometimes you might look at me and think, boy, you're really messing up in, in whatever area, and you don't realize I got two hours of sleep the night before, whatever. You know, there's always those circumstances that we can use in our own minds to justify our actions, but nobody else knows about them. Nobody else knows the backstory, and so I'd like to be judged mercifully. Then number three, I'd like to be judged by someone who isn't a hypocrite. Isn't that the worst? When somebody judges you and, and you know so much about them and they're nitpicking about something little about you, somebody has that judgmental attitude toward you and, and maybe they even do the same thing they're judging you about. And so back to our text, I want to walk through these verses. I think Jesus touches on all three of those. Verse 37, he says, Judge not, and ye shall not be judged. Condemn not, and ye shall not be condemned. Forgive, and ye shall be forgiven. Give, and it shall be given unto you. Good measure, pressed down and shaken together, running over, shall men give unto your bosom. For with the same measure that ye meet withal, it shall be measured to you again. Okay, if you give, people will give to you. Now, this is not talking necessarily about money. Uh, certainly not talking about giving money to the church. I know a lot of preachers will use this verse to say, basically, uh, God is a pinata and tithing is a stick, right? And if you just tithe, then you'll get all this. No, that's not what this is talking about. Uh, this is talking about how it's a principle that if you treat others with judgment and condemnation and a lack of forgiveness, that's what you're going to get in return. And if you treat others with grace and mercy, you'll tend to be treated better, better in return. In other words, if you forgive, they'll forgive you. If you judge, you'll be judged by the same measure. And so again, I think it's an extension of the golden rule. Treat others the way you'd like to be treated. Do you want others to judge and have a condemning spirit toward you when you fail in some way? Or would you like to be treated with grace and forgiveness? If you want people to be gracious with you, extend the same spirit to others. And we tend to be very gracious with ourselves, don't we? Uh, we always understand our flaws. When we do something wrong, it's a slight mistake, very understandable. But when somebody else does something similar, we pounce on them. And, and the best example in my own life of this is driving. This is probably, the, if you want to know when is Pastor David the worst Christian, it's probably when I'm driving. Uh, I had an example of this uh, two weeks ago. I was with Bruce. We were driving around a part of Miller I was very unfamiliar with. And uh, some of you probably know what I'm talking about. We, we came around a curve and it splits into two ways. And I didn't notice the sign that said, do not enter on the left way. And so I started to go that way, thinking that's where I'm supposed to go. And Bruce, fearing for his life, was like, no, 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 go, go right. Uh, and I remember thinking right after that happened, you know, I ought to be more patient with stupid drivers. Uh, because sometimes I'm one of them. And uh, whenever I'm, I'm in a situation where I'm behind a, a stupid driver, somebody that I think, man, this guy just doesn't have a clue, it's, it's easy for me to be very unmerciful in my judgment toward them. But when I make a mistake, it's very understandable to me. Again, we tend to have much higher standards for everyone else but us. We expect perfection out of others, and we're very harsh when they don't measure up. But we expect others to treat us with grace when we fail. And one good reason to judge others mercifully is that we will need the same mercy in the future ourselves. Verse 40, 41, Jesus provides... Uh, further commentary on this. He says, Why beholdest thou the mote that is in thy brother's eye, but perceivest not the beam that is in thine own eye? Either how canst thou say to thy brother, Brother, let me pull out the mote that is in thine eye, when thou thyself beholdest not the beam that is in thine own eye? Thou hypocrite, cast out first the beam out of thine own eye, and then shalt thou see clearly to pull out the mote that is in thy brother's eye. So here it is then. The, the kind of judgment Jesus is saying don't do is hypocritical judgment. 
when you hold everyone else to higher standards than you live by yourself. And we all have this tendency to see everything wrong with everybody else and to be completely oblivious to our own faults. Anyone who's married knows this. I can tell you every one of my wife's faults, and she can tell you every one of mine. But it takes a lot for us to see our own faults. And sometimes one of us will say to the other, and, and this, don't, don't judge my marriage, okay? But uh, this is <laughs> something I think is universal in marriage. Uh, your spouse can say to you something over and over and over again that's a flaw, and it takes like a hundred times before you finally start to see it a little bit. Uh, we're just very quick to see one another's problems and very slow to see our own. I'm usually the last one to notice the log sticking out of my eye, and I'm the first one to notice the smallest speck in someone else's. I want you right now to think of somebody that you find annoying. Okay, this should be pretty easy for all of us. Think of somebody that, that is you think is just lacking in character, uh, somebody you think really needs to grow up. Uh, maybe it's, it's somebody that claims to be a Christian and you think, yeah, I don't think so. Now, I know one thing about the person you're thinking about, and I bet it's true for everybody in this room. I bet the person you're thinking of is not you. We're very quick to notice everything wrong about other people, but we're very slow to examine our own lives and take a similar ex- look good example of this in the Bible is David and Bathsheba. I don't have time to tell the whole story, but if you're familiar, Nathan the prophet confronts David for his sin, and he does so by telling a story about a man who had stolen a poor man's lamb. David immediately condemns the man and pronounces his sentence with anger. And then Nathan responds to David saying, you're the man. And I won't get into all the backstory of that. Some of you, I hope, are familiar. But David was very quick to condemn a man who had done something wrong but felt, felt no remorse at the time for his own sin, which was far worse. Jesus is teaching here, stop judging others with a self-righteous spirit. You're no better than anyone else. When you start to think you are, that shows just how blind you are to your own faults. I was a teenager. I remember one day I was out, outside. I think we were knocking doors somewhere in uh, maybe a trailer park type area. There's some gravel roads. And uh, the wind kicked up some dust and stuff into my face. And I immediately felt something got stuck in my eye. I didn't have time to close my eyes. And, uh, and so for the next hour or so, I'm you know, in the car rubbing it in the mirror trying to find what it is. And, and so I, eventually I, I convinced my mother to take me to the doctor. Went to the doctor and they had a little eye flush in the sink, you know, where you stick your head and it's like a tornado going in your eyes. And they did that for a while and then they, they took a little instrument that they could, sort of like a magnifying glass basically, they could look inside. Uh, they flipped my eyelid inside out, they took a Q-tip and kind of ran it inside and they said, there's nothing in here. Uh, and so I told my mom, I, we left the, the doctor's office, I told my mom, there's something in there. I can feel it, there's something in there, it's scratching my eye up. So she took me to Adirondack Eye Care, uh, which was a really fancy eye facility in our area. And I, I walked in there, it was a really just nice place, it was, you could tell it was top of the line uh, as, far, as far as eye care places go. And I went into the office there, I sat down, and uh, Malachi, could you advance the slide there? I think, I, yeah, this is what they had there. This is called a foropter. I hope I'm pronouncing that right. Uh, this is like a magnifying glass on steroids. I mean, they can, they can do, I sat there and the guy's, you know, turning all these little knobs, and it's, it's crazy, it's really impressive. And within about 20 seconds, he found the little speck and pulled it out of my eye and said, this was your problem. It was so small, you could barely even see it. The point of this that, I, that I'd like to make is some of us have internal foropters. We can see the tiniest speck in somebody else's life. We can spot the smallest failure in those around us. And I think what Jesus is teaching is that we should first turn that foropter around and examine our own eye. 
before we judge our brother. Before you try to point out sin in someone else's life, take a good, li- a good look at yourself. You might, in fact, be judging someone for something you will soon struggle with yourself. We don't have time to go there now, but at the Last Supper, Jesus says that all the disciples would abandon him when he's crucified. And Peter says, I won't do that. If everybody else denies you, I won't. Peter had no idea that within a few hours, he would deny even knowing Jesus. It's easy for us to look down our noses at everybody else and say, I would never do that. Until you're in a situation when suddenly you realize you just did it. Good example of this is single people giving marriage advice to married couples, right? Don't you just love that one? Uh, or those of us without kids giving child-rearing advice to those of you with kids. And you just think, you don't have a clue. You really don't have a clue. You think, I would never do that, but you really don't know. So don't judge self-righteously. Don't be a hypocrite. And be careful about thinking you're so much better than someone else, because God has a way of humbling that type of arrogant heart. As I'm talking about judging others self-righteously, you might even be thinking right now about someone else. Someone you think is so judgmental. Stop examining them for a minute and ask yourself some tough questions about your own heart. Paul wrote these scathing words in Romans 2. He said, Therefore thou art inexcusable, O man, whosoever thou art that judgest, for wherein thou judgest another, thou condemnest thyself. For thou that judgest doest the same things. But we are sure that the judgment of God is according to truth against them which commit such things. And thinkest thou, O man, that judgest them which do such things, and doest the same, that thou shalt escape the judgment of God? So the issue isn't merely judging someone else's sins, but but being a self-righteous hypocrite, pointing out all the weaknesses and failures of somebody else without examining yourself. Verse 39 of our text, Jesus gives us some criteria to judge teachers. And this is, again, why we can't just say Jesus said never judge, because in the following verses, he tells us specifically to judge. Uh, Verse 39, he, he speaks a parable to them, saying, Can the blind lead the blind? Shall they not both fall into the ditch? The disciple is not above his master, but everyone that is perfect shall be as his master. So Jesus is teaching here, he's telling the people, be careful who you follow. He may uh, here be referring to the Pharisees. In Matthew 23, he calls them blind guides. Um, So he might be talking about that, which is just another way to say they tried to pull a a speck out of everybody else's eye, and they had a log in their own. Remember, he says of the Pharisees that they strained at a gnat and swallowed a camel. Uh, One of the most poetic things Jesus ever said. He's he's just saying that they they nitpicked about the smallest things. In that context, I believe he's talking about tithing. Uh, They were real careful to tithe on their spices, but they forgot about mercy. And Jesus says, you you missed the bigger of the two. So Jesus says, judge teachers and follow only good teachers. Be careful who you listen to. And judge teachers by their disciples. You judge teachers by their disciples because disciples become like their teacher. And a fully trained disciple is just like whoever taught him. Now hang on to that thought because we're going to return to it in a little bit. Verse 43, a good tree, Jesus says, bringeth not forth corrupt fruit. Literally, it says, there doesn't exist a good tree bearing rotten fruit. Neither doth a corrupt tree bring forth good fruit. Every tree is known by his fruit. For of thorns men do not gather figs, neither of a bramble bush gather they grapes. A good man out of the good treasure of his heart bringeth forth that which is good, and an evil man out of the evil treasure of his heart bringeth forth that which is evil. For of the abundance of the heart his mouth speaketh. So Jesus says here, judge actions and words. I can't tell you what's in your heart. I don't know what people's motives are. 
Uh, and so we can only really look at actions and words. And we've got to be very careful not to try to read into things people do and start uh, thinking, oh, I know what they're thinking. No, you don't. Uh, you don't know their mo motives. You don't know their thoughts. You can only see words and actions. Somebody with a good heart will speak and act goodly. Somebody with an evil heart will speak and act evilly, if those are words. Somebody with a good heart will demonstrate that with good words and good actions. You can tell a tree by its fruit. And you can tell a person's heart condition by the evidence of their life. So judge actions, not motives. Judge words, not thoughts. You can't see someone's heart, but you can discern based on the evidence of their life. So put that together with what he just said about judging teachers in the last couple of verses. And we have this. You should judge teachers by their followers. And you should judge those by their words and actions. So look at the actions and words of disciples of a teacher, and that will show you what the teacher is all about. Some of you may have caught on to where I'm going with this, but people ought to know that the teachings of Jesus are true by looking at the lives of Christians. If we claim to be followers of Christ, following the teachings and commands of Jesus, people ought to see the fruit of that. And that should tell them something about our teacher. And Jesus says all of this, I think, to bring home the main point about judging yourself. Again, turning that foropter around on your own heart examining your own life. He continues in verse 46. He says, And why call ye me Lord, Lord, and do not the things which I say? So I just said that disciples follow their teacher. When a disciple is fully trained, he's like his teacher. So Jesus says, Why are you calling me teacher? Why are you calling me Lord, Master, and not obeying my teachings? Why are you calling me teacher and not following what I say? Why aren't you looking more like me? Stop judging others and judge yourself. Does your life give evidence that you are a disciple? Now, it's good to call Jesus Lord. Romans chapter 10 tells us that it's essential to salvation. In order to be a Christian, you have to, you have to uh, say that Jesus is Lord. That is kind of the, the most foundational uh, statement of the early church, was that Jesus is Lord. But simply calling Jesus your Lord and not obeying his commands is a false profession. So at this point, I think Jesus' point is, examine your own heart. Are you a disciple of his for real? Are you becoming more and more like your master? Is there fruit of conversion in your life? Look at your own words and actions and ask, what does that reveal about your own heart? Our tendency, again, is to judge everybody else <clears throat> and not ourselves. And Jesus says, before you judge others, judge yourself thoroughly. Judge teachers, whether they're good or evil, and follow the one who's right. Don't just listen. Live it out. Let your life show that what you believe is the truth. Then he brings the conclusion to the whole sermon, verse 47. Whosoever cometh to me and heareth my sayings and doeth them, I will show you to whom he is like. He is like a man which built an house and digged deep and laid the foundation on a rock. And when the flood arose, the stream beat vehemently upon that house and could not shake it, for it was founded upon a rock. But he that heareth and doeth not is like a man that without a foundation built an house upon the earth, against which the stream did ve beat vehemently, and immediately it fell, and the ruin of that house was great. That summarizes the entire sermon from verse 20 all the way down to 49. There's two ways to live, Jesus says. You have a choice to make. You can build your life on the teachings of Jesus, or you can build your life on something else. But in the end, only the life built on the rock will stand. And that life he defines as one that comes to Christ hears his teachings, and then puts them into practice. So are you following the right teacher? Are you becoming more like the one you claim to be your Lord? Are you doing what he tells you to do? Do your words and actions reveal a heart that is right, or are you so focused on everyone else that you don't examine your own life? 
The most important thing to judge yourself for is whether you are truly a Christian. Have you examined your own life for evidence that you've been born again? Again, Jesus said, good trees produce good fruit. Evil trees produce evil fruit. What kind of tree are you? By the way, Jesus didn't say, start producing good fruit and you'll be a good tree. This is the problem with Roman Catholicism, right? They teach that uh, basically you do enough good works and you become a Christian. Jesus says, no, no. <laughs> a good tree or an evil tree can't just start producing good fruit. You need a heart change. You don't need to become a better person. You need to become a different person entirely. Only good trees produce good fruit, and only bad trees produce bad fruits. He says an evil tree cannot produce good fruit. So Jesus is not teaching behavior modification. You've got to have a heart change. You can't become a good tree by doing good works. You need God to change you from the inside out. But if you have been so changed that will necessarily produce evidence. And it's evidence that can be examined. So if you're wondering if you're truly saved, Jesus says, look at your life. Look at your words and actions. Is there fruit of a good tree there? 2 Corinthians 13, Paul wrote something similar. He said, examine yourselves, whether you be in the faith. Prove your own selves. Know ye not your own selves, how that Jesus Christ is in you, except you be reprobates? Judge yourself. Examine your own life and see, is there evidence that I'm truly a Christian? Am I truly a follower of Christ? And again, Jesus taught us the, the criteria here. A disciple becomes like his Lord. Are you becoming more and more like Christ? 2 Corinthians 5, Paul said, Therefore, if any man be in Christ, he is a new creature. Old things are passed away. Behold, all things are become new. If your conversion to Christ did not transform your life, Paul says you've not truly been converted. You have no reason to assume you're a good tree if you're producing nothing but evil fruit. And the answer is not, start producing good fruit. You can't. You need to become a good, a, a good tree, and only God can do that. Philippians 1.6 says, Being confident of this very thing, that he which hath begun a good work in you will perform it until the day of Jesus Christ. If God has begun the good work of salvation in you, there will be evidence in your life. So examine yourself. Look at the fruit of your life and ask yourself, Am I a good tree? And if you fail that self-examination, cry out to God to save you because only God can take out your heart of stone and replace it with a heart that will believe and follow him. Jesus says, Who, whoever comes to him, he will in no wise cast out. In the end, it will be revealed whether we were true followers of Jesus or not. The two houses that Jesus spoke of, they looked similar for sure until the storm came, until the judgment came. And then one collapsed and the other stood. And it was revealed which one was built on the rock and which one was poorly built? At the end of your life, it will be revealed whether you built a life on the teachings of Jesus or not. If you come to Christ, hear his sayings and do them, you will stand in the day of judgment. If you build a life apart from Christ on some other foundation, Jesus says it will collapse and be gone. So judge yourself. We hope the message you just heard was helpful to you. It means a lot to us that you would join us for this podcast. For more information about our church and meeting times, visit lbcmiller.com or call us at 219-885-9303. We would love to hear from you.